readings today. The first reading is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, which can be found on page 1030 in the Bibles. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 to 18. And this is on 1177 in the church Bibles. The armor of God. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Do keep that passage open if you've got a Bible. If you haven't got a Bible and you'd like one, maybe you'd like to just put your hand in the air. Is anybody, there are a couple of people here at the front. Could, could we just bring some Bibles to them? There are Bibles on the tables there. I seem to be accumulating Bibles here at the front, um, but I only need one. There's a few Bibles uh, down at the front here. Just a couple of people, three people in fact. Yep, this is great. And uh, what page was, was the reading on in Ephesians? Somebody note it down. Can you shout it out? One, 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 seven, seven. The armor of God. When I was uh, small, I, I loved dressing up. Um, nowadays, it's all about superheroes or princesses, but in my day, it was cowboys and Indians. And I loved dressing up as an Indian. Especially, I think it was especially the feathers around my head that just really got me. But I loved dressing up and imagining that it was real, that I was being pursued by cowboys that were about to kill me. And I loved playing in the garden and imagining that. So imagine my excitement 
when one day my parents uh, turned to me and told me that, um, um, that a real Indian chief was going to come and visit us at our home and stay with us. Um, and uh, so a couple of days later, he arrived. His name, I remember it well, was called, his name was Soapy Dollar. And, uh, and he was a real American chief, Indian chief. The, the problem is that uh, I was really disappointed because he arrived and he was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Um, that just wasn't right. But he did have the look of an Indian, you know, like a sort of Native American look on his face with dark hair and he was tall like a chief. So that was sort of okay. Um, unfortunately, he brought with him a few little items in his suitcase as proof that he really was, you know, who he said he, he was. So I was sort of half satisfied. But um, I really only understood things uh, correctly and properly when a little bit later that day, he took me on one side and he whispered in my ear, and I remember it now, he whispered in my ear that he wore his real Indian costume in his heart. He didn't need to dress up. He knew who he was. Now, the next day, um, I proudly announced to everybody in my class at school that we had a real live Indian living in our home. And of course, I was pretty put out when nobody believed me. That is until at the end of the day, Soapy Dollar came with my mum to pick me up from the school gates. And there he was, and I can tell you, standing next to him with all my school friends looking at me, I felt like a real chief. And I didn't need to dress up. Now, when we turn to our passage that we've been hearing for the last few weeks on the armour of God, I want us to notice what Paul does not say. He does not say, dress up and pretend to be a soldier. He says, be strong in the Lord, put on the full armour of God. There is no need in the Christian life to dress up. God's armour, you see, becomes our armour because we are, this is the phrase he uses, in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. We're in the Lord. We're with him. We're standing next to him. And so we don't need to pretend. Now, of course, like for my Indian chief friend, Soapy Dollar, our armour is invisible. We carry it in our heart. It's not like Paul is writing to these uh, Ephesian Christians and saying to them, take up the bronze shield. He says, take up the shield of faith. He doesn't say, put on the metal helmet as protection. He says, put on the helmet of salvation to protect you. He doesn't suggest sort of taking up a sword of iron or steel, but the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, we are not called to act or to judge by sight. And it's absolutely fundamental in the spiritual realm. We're called to act and to judge by faith. So we're to refuse violence, for example, against people. In fact, it's interesting, we've got a paradoxical mission here because we are, according to Paul, to take a stand against spiritual powers but to do it in the name of the gospel of peace. 
And to serve our mission of peace, five out of the six pieces of armor that Paul explains here are defensive weapons. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. For five pieces of defensive armor, only one is then given that is offensive, the sword of the spirit. Of course, I mean, every good Roman soldier needs to have a sword. No Roman soldier would imagine going into battle without it. But here's my question. What is the use of a sword for a people who are called to pray for their enemies, to bless those who persecute them, to do good to those who hate them? Do you see the paradox? Now, it seems to me our starting point for understanding the sword of the Spirit is to focus in on a key principle in, Christian, in the Christian life and Christian faith, and that is this. We always distinguish between enemies and the enemy. Enemies, think about Jesus' teaching. Jesus insists that we bless our enemies. Actually, that's a really radical break with sort of traditional morality and ideology, which would have us always set up those who are not like us against us. We always think in terms of categories, those who are inside and those who are outside, those who are close to us and resemble us, and those who are different, me and them. Those are our classic human categories. And Jesus challenges that to the core. In fact, he explodes those categories because he calls us to bless our enemies. He calls us to apply to those who hate us the same attitudes that we reserve for those who love us and those we love. Now, do you see how revolutionary that is? Because if you start treating your enemies as your friends, then the very categories of friend and enemy are challenged. There are no longer goodies and baddies, like in my game of cowboys and Indians, or those who are close to us and those we keep at a distance. There are only people who are blessed, who are respected and treated as brothers and sisters, whatever their attitude to us may be. In Jesus' words, we are called to love our enemies. But there is a world of difference between enemies, those opposed to us that we're called to bless, and the one that we are to oppose with all our heart, who in Jesus' terms is called the enemy with a capital E. This is an enemy who sets himself up against God. Paul uses different terms to explain and to talk about him, talks about spiritual powers that militate against the purposes of God. This enemy, we are called to unmask and to defeat. Opposing not people, but the enemy who in the, in the words of Jesus comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. Who loves to dehumanize. Who seeks out every form of injustice. Who seeks to push down and to marginalize who infiltrates and exploits human longings, who turns us away from God. 
We are to resist this enemy. Now we resist this enemy by using the defensive weapons of the Spirit. But we defeat him by using the one offensive piece of armour that Paul gives us, and that is the sword of the Spirit. Do you understand? We resist using the defensive weapons, but we defeat using the sword of the Spirit. Now the text says sword of the Spirit, we could translate that the sword that comes from the Spirit or the sword that belongs to the Spirit. But Paul describes that sword of the Spirit as being the Word of God. Now that phrase, Word of God, that we're very familiar with is is a phrase that Paul uses primarily to speak about the gospel itself. The good news of Jesus Christ who saves us. Because you see, if God speaks in, in all time, God speaks in creation, doesn't he? God speaks to us through conversations. He speaks to us in everyday ways. He speaks to us through different people. He can speak to us through dreams. Primarily, God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. Do you remember the beginning of the, of the letter to the Hebrews? Hebrews 1 verse 1, which goes like this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Now, we often speak of the Bible as being the word of God. And that's right, by extension. Because in his economy, God inspired different people so that we might know the good news through scripture. How else would we know about Jesus Christ if it were not through the words of scripture. But it is important to understand that it is not a book that saves us. It's not a book that speaks to us. But in the Bible, we discover the one about whom we are reading. We discover the God who speaks. That's why it's so important for Christians to read the Bible. Because through it, we encounter the one who speaks. So in the first place in this passage, when it says sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Paul is referring to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who saves us. That is the the heart of the sword that we use. But there's an important sort of nuance in the text here because instead of using the regular term for word of God, logos theu, Paul uses a different word, rema, rema, theu, which is slightly different, okay? Where logos, which is the word used in the beginning was the word, do you remember? And, and, and he was with God. That's logos, the sort of founding principle. Logos sort of speaks of the content of the, pas- of the message, the good news of God. But rema, this other word, meaning word, refers more to the relevance of the message, its impact in the here and now. So here's the thing. The gospel, logos, the word of God, becomes rema of God when it is applied to my life. When through through the ancient words, the ancient stories, the ancient texts of scripture, God speaks to me today. And that, of course, is precisely what the Spirit does. You understand that in Paul's thinking, the Spirit applies 
what God has done in the past to our experience in the present. By the Spirit, the Logos becomes Rhema. Got it? Actually, that's essentially what Paul calls elsewhere prophecy. Not, or prophetic words, not the, the ability in some way to sort of predict the future in some sort of mystic trance, but, but being ready to be used by God to bring a specific word of gospel to someone in the here and now. God speaking to me. So things are prophetic when we sense God speaking to us now out of his eternal truth. Now, if we apply that to the spiritual battle, we see that it is exactly what the ministry of Jesus is all about. Jesus takes ancient traditions and through his words, they become the means by which God speaks now to the people around him. And as Jesus speaks, people recognize that his words have authority because through him, it is God himself who is speaking. Think for a minute of the, the Roman centurion, do you remember? Who begs Jesus on the way to heal his servant who is dying. This is what the man says. Matthew chapter eight. Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. In the ministry of Jesus, God's word invades people's lives. That's the good news. The kingdom of God, it's all about God speaking. And as God speaks, so he acts. The technical term is that, is that God's word is performative. In other words, when God says something, it automatically happens, like in creation. But it isn't just 2,000 years ago, it's today as well. Because as Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So Jesus constantly uses the word of God in this sense as a sword in the spiritual battle. One word is enough. One word is enough to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to calm the storm. One word. But it's not just any word. Even for Jesus, it's not a human word that counts. It's not a human word that is going to calm the storm. It's the word of God being spoken through Jesus. One word is enough if it comes from God. That's exactly what we see when Jesus is tempted in that passage that we had about Jesus' temptation at the beginning of his ministry. Just think about it for a minute. He has been in the desert for 40 days. Humanly speaking, he is exhausted. He's hungry, he's tired, he's weak, he's vulnerable. Now, in the middle of that vulnerability and weakness, what is it that chases the enemy away? What is it that makes the enemy run? Makes the enemy tremble? Is it Jesus' strong personality? Is it his, his determination? Of course it isn't. What makes the enemy flee is when Jesus takes the scriptures and quotes them to affirm God's truth in the here and now of temptation. Enemy, 
you may well have said, but it is written. God says. So Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. Sharper than any double-edged sword, as the writer to the Hebrews says. It penetrates deep. It judges the heart. It lays bare the evil. It defeats the enemy. God's word into every situation. So Paul says, in the spiritual battle, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So what does that mean for us? Well, it certainly means this. Letting the Spirit apply the power of the gospel to our lives today. Not being content to read about yesterday or to live in yesterday's blessings or to read stories about Jesus. It's about letting the Spirit take over our lives today. So is the enemy condemning you? Take the sword of the Spirit and affirm the good news of Jesus that we are forgiven and cleansed today. Is the enemy discouraging you? Well, by the sword of the Spirit, you can proclaim that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ today. When we hear that voice that tells us we're worth nothing or that we will never succeed, take the sword of the Spirit and declare that in Christ we are children of God today. So taking the sword of the Spirit is allowing God to speak, letting his word be heard in the middle of our darkness. And to be able to do that, we need to be regularly reading the Scriptures. And then we need to be regularly asking the Spirit of God to bring the words we read to life today. And then we need to go one step further. We need to ask the Spirit to bring them to mind, those things that we've read, so that we can use them just when the time is right. Like a sword. Right for us in our personal battles, at the moment of weakness, the moment of temptation, the moment of doubt, the moment of suffering, take the sword and we use the, what the Lord brings to mind, that scripture, and it becomes the power of God. So at the right time for us, but also the right time for those around, because you see, as we declare the, the word of God at the right moment, so we engage in spiritual warfare alongside others. And the word we speak out is the word of God for the person next to us, if we have the courage to say it. And if we do not say it, we are depriving them of the sword of the Spirit in their personal battle. You see, it's all interlinked. We engage in spiritual warfare alongside others, protectively, but also with the sword of the Spirit, so that others too gain strength as they receive God's word from us. Now, here's the thing. Every time we take up the sword of the Spirit, it is God who is fighting for us. In ourselves, we're weak and we're feeble, but with him, one word is enough to make the enemy take to his heels. One word. So our sword in the fight is the word of God. God who speaks to us by his Spirit, 
who enables us to speak out by the same spirit the truth of the gospel in the right moment. It's all about speaking. It's all about words, which is why in Paul's passage, he makes the link with prayer. Literally, verses 17 and 18 say this. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, by means of all prayer and petition. Praying at every time, the word is kairos, in the Spirit. Do you see that? It is through prayer that we take up the sword. It is by the Spirit that our prayers rise up to God. By prayer in the Spirit that his word comes alive in our hearts. So let's remember. The spiritual battle is not child's play. It is not cowboy's and Indians. God doesn't ask us to dress up and to pretend to be someone we are not. He invites us to come to him and stand firm in him. In him, he gives us the different pieces of armor. In him, we can act. And the passage says this, it says, put on the full armor of God, which includes the sword the sword by which we defeat the enemy in Christ. So, when faced with difficulties, temptations, trials, doubts, when we stumble and fall, we can take out the sword of the Spirit and by prayer and petition, as Paul says, we can declare that we are strong because God is fighting for us. We are with him. His victory is assured. We are protected by him. And by his spirit, we are in constant contact with him. With him, the victorious one. To whom be all glory, honor, power, and strength in our lives, around us, forever and ever. Amen.